0: Chapter One, Part One of *The Teeth of the Tiger*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kathy Barrett. *The Teeth of the Tiger* by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter One: D'Artagnan, Portos, and Monte Cristo. It was half past four. M. D'Amelion, the prefect of police, was not yet back at the office. His private secretary laid on the desk a bundle of letters and reports which he had annotated for his chief, rang the bell, and said to the messenger who entered by the main door, M. le préfet has sent for a number of people to see him at five o'clock. Here are their names. Show them into separate waiting-rooms so they can't communicate with one another, and let me have their cards when they come. The messenger went out the secretary was turning toward the small door that led to his room when the main door opened once more and admitted a man who stopped and leaned swaying over the back of a chair why it's you verrot said the secretary but what's happened what's the matter inspector verrot was a very stout powerfully built man with a big neck and shoulders and a florid complexion he had obviously been upset by some violent excitement for his face streaked with red veins and usually so apoplectic Seemed almost pale. Oh nothing, Monsieur le Secretaire, he said. Oh yes, yes, you're not looking your usual self. You're grey in the face, and the way you're perspiring. Inspector Verreaux wiped his forehead, and pulling himself together said It's just a little tiredness. I've been overworking myself lately. I was very keen on clearing up a case which Monsieur de Malion had put in my hands. All the same, I have a funny sort of feeling. Will you have a pick me up? no no i'm more thirsty a glass of water no thank you what then i should like i should like his voice faltered he wore a troubled look as if he had suddenly lost his power of getting out another word but he recovered himself with an effort and asked isn't m. de malion here no he won't be back till 5 when he has an important meeting yes i know most important that's what i'm here for but i should have liked to see him first I should so much have liked to see him. The secretary stared at Vérot and said, "'What a state you are in! Is your message so urgent as all that?' "'It's very urgent, indeed. It has to do with a crime that took place a month ago, to the day. And, above all, it's a matter of preventing two murders which are the outcome of that other crime, and which are to be committed to-night. Yes, to-night, inevitably, unless we take the necessary steps. Sit down, Vérot, won't you?' You see, the whole thing has been planned in such an infernal manner. You would never have imagined. Still, Vero, as you know about it beforehand, and as Monsieur le Préfet is sure to give you full powers, yes, of course, of course, but all the same it's terrible to think that I might miss him. So I wrote him this letter, telling him all I know about the business. I thought it safer. He handed the secretary a large yellow envelope and added, And here's a little box as well. I'll leave it on this table.' It contains something that will serve to complete and explain the contents of the letter. "'But why don't you keep all that by you? I'm afraid to. They're watching me. They're trying to get rid of me. I shan't be easy in my mind until someone besides myself knows the secret.' "'Have no fear, Vero. Monsieur le Prefet is bound to be back soon. Meanwhile, I advise you to go to the infirmary and ask for a pick-me-up.' The inspector seemed undecided what to do. Once more he wiped away the perspiration that was trickling down his forehead. Then, drawing himself up, he left the office. When he was gone, the secretary slipped the letter into a big bundle of papers that lay on the prefect's desk and went out by the door leading to his own room. He had hardly closed it behind him when the other door opened once again and the inspector returned, spluttering, "'Monsieur le secrétaire, it'd be better if I showed you—' The unfortunate man was as white as a sheet. His teeth were chattering. When he saw that the secretary was gone, he tried to walk across to his private room. But he was seized with an attack of weakness and sank into a chair, where he remained for some minutes, moaning helplessly. "'What's the matter with me? Have I been poisoned too? Oh, I don't like this. I don't like the look of this.' The desk stood within reach of his hand. He took a pencil, drew a writing-pad toward him, and began to scribble a few characters. But he next stammered, Why, no, it's not worth while. The prefect will be reading my letter. What on earth's the matter with me? I don't like this at all. Suddenly he rose to his feet and called out, Monsieur le Secretaire, we've got... we've got to... it's for tonight. Nothing can prevent stiffening himself with an effort of his whole will he made for the door of the secretary's room with little short steps like an automaton but he reeled on the way and had to sit down a second time a mad terror shook him from head to foot and he uttered cries which were too faint unfortunately to be heard he realized this and looked round for a bell for a gong but he was no longer able to distinguish anything a veil of darkness seemed to weigh upon his eyes Then he dropped on his knees and crawled to the wall, beating the air with one hand like a blind man, until he ended by touching some woodwork. It was the partition wall. He crept along this, but as ill luck would have it, his bewildered brain showed him a false picture of the room, so that instead of turning to the left, as he should have done, he followed the wall to the right, behind a screen which concealed a third door. His fingers touched the handle of this door, and he managed to open it. He gasped, Help! Help! and fell at his full length in a sort of cupboard or closet which the Prefect of Police used as a dressing-room. "'Tonight,' he moaned, believing that he was making himself heard and that he was in the secretary's room, "'tonight. The job is fixed for tonight. You'll see the mark of the teeth. It's awful. Oh, the pain I'm in. It's the poison. Save me. Help the voice died away he repeated several times as though in a nightmare the teeth the teeth they're closing then his voice grew fainter still and inarticulate sounds issued from his pallid lips his mouth munched the air like the mouth of one of those old men who seemed to be interminably chewing the cud his head sank lower and lower on his breast he heaved two or three sighs a great shiver passed through his body and he moved no more and the death-rattle began in his throat, very softly and rhythmically, broken only by interruptions in which a last instinctive effort appeared to revive the flickering life of the intelligence, and to rouse fitful gleams of consciousness in the dim eyes. The prefect of police entered his office at ten minutes to five. M. Malion, who had filled his post for the past three years with an authority that made him generally respected, was a heavily built man of fifty, with a shrewd and intelligent face. His dress, consisting of a grey jacket-suit, white spats, and a loosely flowing tie, in no way suggested the public official. His manners were easy, simple, and full of good-natured frankness. He touched a bell, and when his secretary entered asked, "'Are the people whom I sent for here?' "'Yes, monsieur le préfet, and I gave orders that they were to wait in different rooms.' "'Ah! it would not have mattered if they had met. However, perhaps it's better as it is. I hope that the American ambassador did not trouble to come in person.' No, Monsieur le Préfet. Have you their cards? Yes. The Prefect of Police took the five visiting cards which his secretary handed him and read, Mr. Archibald Bright, First Secretary, United States Embassy, Maître Lepertuis, Solicitor, Juan Caceres, Attaché to the Peruvian Legation, Major Comte d'Estrignac, Retired. The fifth card bore merely a name, without address or quality of any kind. Don Luis Perenna. "'That's the one I'm curious to see,' said M. Malion. "'He interests me like the very devil. Did you read the report of the Foreign Legion?' "'Yes, Monsieur le Préfet, and I confess that this gentleman puzzles me, too.' "'He does, eh? Did you ever hear of such pluck? A sort of heroic madman, something absolutely wonderful. And then there's that nickname of Arsène Lupin, which he earned among his messmates for the way in which he used to boss them and astound them. How long is it since the death of Arsène Lupin?' it happened two years before your appointment Monsieur le prfet his corpse and madame kesselbach's were discovered under the ruins of a little chalet which was burnt down close to the luxembourg frontier it was found at the inquest that he had strangled that monster mrs kesselbach whose crimes came to light afterward and that he hanged himself after setting fire to the chalet it was a fitting end for that rascal said m desmalions and i confess that i for my part much prefer not having him to fight against Let's see. Where were we? Are the papers of the Mornington inheritance ready for me? On your desk, Monsieur le Préfet. Good. But I was forgetting. Is Inspector Verot here? Yes, Monsieur le Préfet. I expect he's in the infirmary getting something to pull him together. Why? What's the matter with him? He struck me as being in a queer state, rather ill. How do you mean? The secretary described his interview with Inspector Verot. And you say he left a letter for me? Said Monsieur Desmalions with a worried air. "'Where is it?' "'Among the papers, Monsieur le Préfet.' "'Very odd. It's all very odd. Vero is a first-rate inspector, a very sober-minded fellow, and he doesn't get frightened easily. You might go and fetch him. Meanwhile, I'll look through my letters.' The secretary hurried away. When he returned five minutes later, he stated, with an air of astonishment, that he had not seen Inspector Vero. "'And what's more curious still,' he added, is that the messenger who saw him leave this room saw him come in again almost at once and did not see him go out a second time. Perhaps he only passed through here to go to you. To me, Monsieur le Préfet, I was in my room all the time. Then it's incomprehensible. Yes, unless we conclude that the messenger's attention was distracted for a second as Vero is neither here nor next door. That must be it. I expect he's gone to get some air outside, and he'll be back at any moment.' For that matter, I shan't want him to start with. The prefect looked at his watch. Ten past five. You might tell the messenger to show those gentlemen in. Wait, though. M. demalion hesitated. In turning over the papers, he had found Vérot's letter. It was a large, yellow business envelope with Café du Pont Neuf printed at the top. The secretary suggested, In view of Vérot's absence, Monsieur le préfet, and of what he said, it might be as well for you to see what's in the letter first. M. Desmalions paused to reflect. Perhaps you're right. And making up his mind, he inserted a paper knife into the envelope and cut it open. A cry escaped him. Oh, I say, this is a little too much. What is it, M. le Préfet? Why, look here, a blank sheet of paper. That's all the envelope contains. Impossible. See for yourself, a plain sheet folded in four, with not a word on it. "'But Vérot told me in so many words that he had said in that letter all that he knew about the case. "'He told you so, no doubt. "'But there you are. "'Upon my word, if I didn't know Inspector Vérot, I should think he was trying to play a game with me. "'It's a piece of carelessness, Monsieur le Préfet, at the worst. "'No doubt a piece of carelessness, but I'm surprised at him. "'It doesn't do to be careless when the lives of two people are at stake. "'But he must have told you that there is a double murder planned for to-night.' Yes, Monsieur le Préfet, and under particularly alarming conditions. Infernal was the word he used. M. Desmalions was walking up and down the room, with his hands behind his back. He stopped at a small table. What's this little parcel addressed to me? Monsieur le Préfet de Police. To be opened in case of accident. Oh, yes, said the secretary. I was forgetting. That's from Inspector Vérot, too. Something of importance, he said, and serving to complete and explain the contents of the letter. Well, said M. demalion, who could not help laughing. The letter certainly needs explaining, and though there's no question of accident, I may as well open the parcel. As he spoke, he cut the string and discovered, under the paper, a box, a little cardboard box, which might have come from a druggist, but which was soiled and spoiled by the use to which it had been put. He raised the lid. Inside the box were a few layers of cotton wool, which were also rather dirty, and in between these layers was half a cake of chocolate. "'What the devil does this mean?' growled the prefect in surprise. He took the chocolate, looked at it, and at once perceived what was peculiar about this cake of chocolate, which was also undoubtedly the reason why Inspector Vero had kept it. Above and below it wore the prints of teeth, very plainly marked, very plainly separated one from the other, penetrating to a depth of a tenth of an inch or so into the chocolate.' Each possessed its individual shape and width, and each was divided from its neighbors by a different interval. The jaws which had started eating the cake of chocolate had dug into it the mark of four upper and five lower teeth. M. Malion remained wrapped in thought, and with his head sunk on his chest, for some minutes resumed his walk up and down the room, muttering, "'This is queer. There's a riddle here to which I should like to know the answer. That sheet of paper, the marks of those teeth—' "'What does it all mean?' But he was not the man to waste much time over a mystery, which was bound to be cleared up presently, as Inspector Vero must be either at the police office, or somewhere just outside, and he said to his secretary, "'I can't keep those five gentlemen waiting any longer. Please have them shown in now. If Inspector Vero arrives while they are here, as he is sure to do, let me know at once. I want to see him as soon as he comes. Except for that, see that I'm not disturbed on any pretext, won't you?' Two minutes later the messenger showed in Maître Pertuis, a stout, red-faced man with whiskers and spectacles, followed by Archibald Bright, the secretary of embassy, and Caceres, the Peruvian attaché. M. de Mallion, who knew all three of them, chatted to them until he stepped forward to receive Major Comte d'Astrignac, the hero of La Chouia, who had been forced into premature retirement by his glorious wounds. The prefect was complimenting him warmly on his gallant conduct in Morocco when the door opened once more don luis perenna i believe said the prefect offering his hand to a man of middle height and rather slender build wearing the military medal and the red ribbon of the legion of honor the newcomer's face and expression his way of holding himself and his very youthful movements inclined one to look upon him as a man of forty though there were wrinkles at the corners of the eyes and on the forehead which perhaps pointed to a few years more he bowed yes monsieur le prefet is that you cried Comte d'Astrignac. So you are still among the living? Yes, Major, and delighted to see you again. Perenna, alive! Why, we had lost all sight of you when I left Morocco. We thought you dead. I was a prisoner, that's all. A prisoner of the tribesmen, the same thing. Not quite, Major. One can escape from anywhere. The proof stands before you." the prefect of police yielding to an irresistible attraction to resist spent some seconds in examining that powerful face with the smiling glance the frank and resolute eyes and the bronzed complexion which looked as if it had been baked and baked again by the sun then motioning to his visitors to take chairs around his desk m de Malion himself sat down and made a preliminary statement in clear and deliberate tones The summons, gentlemen, which I addressed to each of you, must have appeared to you rather peremptory and mysterious, and the manner in which I propose to open our conversation is not likely to diminish your surprise. But if you will attach a little credit to my method, you will soon realize that the whole thing is very simple and very natural. I will be as brief as I can." He spread before him the bundle of documents prepared for him by his secretary, and consulting his notes as he spoke, continued, over fifty years ago in eighteen sixty three sisters three orphans ermeline elizabeth and armand roussel aged twenty-two twenty and eighteen respectively were living at saint etienne with a cousin named victor who was a few years younger the eldest ermeline was the first to leave saint etienne she went to london where she married an englishman of the name mornington by whom she had a son who was christened cosmo the family was very poor and went through hard times Ermeline repeatedly wrote to her sisters to ask for a little assistance. Receiving no reply, she broke off the correspondence altogether. In 1870 Mr. and Mrs. Mornington left England for America. Five years later they were rich. Mr. Mornington died in 1878, but his widow continued to administer the fortune bequeathed to her, and as she had a genius for business and speculation, she increased this fortune until it attained a colossal figure." At her decease, in 1900, she left her son the sum of four hundred million francs. The amount seemed to make an impression on the prefect's hearers. He saw the Major and Don Luis Perena exchange a glance and asked, "'You knew Cosmo Mornington, did you not?' "'Yes, Monsieur le Préfet,' replied Comte d'Astrignac. "'He was in Morocco when Perena and I were fighting there.' "'Just so,' said Monsieur Desmalions cosmo mornington had begun to travel about the world he took up the practice of medicine from what i hear and when occasion offered treated the sick with great skill and of course without charge he lived first in egypt and then in algiers and morocco last year he settled down in paris where he died four weeks ago as the result of a most stupid accident a carelessly administered hypodermic injection was it not monsieur le Préfet? asked the secretary of the american embassy It was mentioned in the papers and reported to us at the embassy. "'Yes,' said Desmalions, "'To assist his recovery from a long attack of influenza, which had kept him in bed all the winter, Mr. Mornington, by his doctor's orders, used to give himself injections of glycerophosphate of soda. He must have omitted the necessary precautions on the last occasion when he did so, for the wound was poisoned, inflammation set in with lightning rapidity, and Mr. Mornington was dead in a few hours.' the prefect of police turned to the solicitor and asked have i summed up the facts correctly maitre le pertuis absolutely monsieur le prefet monsieur desmalions continued the next morning maitre le called here and for reasons which you will understand when you have heard the document read showed me cosmo mornington's will which had been placed in his hands while the prefect was looking through the papers maitre le pertuis added I may be allowed to say that I saw my client only once before I was summoned to his deathbed, and that was on the day when he sent for me to come to his room in the hotel to hand me the will which he had just made. This was at the beginning of his influenza. In the course of conversation he told me that he had been making some inquiries with a view to tracing his mother's family, and that he intended to pursue these inquiries seriously after his recovery. Circumstances, as it turned out, prevented his fulfilling his purpose." End of chapter 1, part 1.